Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks its guests three thought-provoking, head-scratching questions, usually over three glasses of wine. And my guest this week has juggled... Being a mother to five sons alongside building an impressive and, if I say so myself, an often wildly underestimated pop career that started back in the late 90s when she was the front woman of the indie band The Audience. After the group disbanded, she went solo in the early noughties with huge international hits like Groove Jet's This Ain't Love and Murder on the Dark Storm. Songs that are still all over our radios to this day. And then last year, she released her eighth album. Yeah, eight albums, five kids, massive underachiever. That was called Songs from the Kitchen Disco and was uh, on the back of the brilliant Kitchen Disco sessions on Instagram that she hosted with her family, which I don't know about you, but became a genuine lockdown highlight in our house. In 2013, she dazzled on Strictly, ending up losing out in the final to Abby Clancy. And in the first series of The Masked Singer, appeared as the alien (laughs) I loved it born into the business her mother is Janet Ellis a presenter on Blue Peter for many a year while her father Robin Baxter was an incredible film producer at 24 Sophie's life took a massive and unexpected turn when she fell into a romance that was whirlwind to say the least with Richard Jones six weeks after they started dating she fell pregnant and eight months later the first of their five sons was born Sonny and they married pretty damn quickly after. As well as doing all of this in lockdown, she's also got a really smart podcast out. It's called Spinning Plates, and she interviews other working mums, including Fern Cotton, Mylene Class. But for, for me, my very personal favourite episode was the one where she sat down and interviewed her mum. It's Sophie Ellis Baxter. <laughs> God, you're busy. <laughs> Eight albums, five kids. Yeah, it's um, I don't know though. I think I could have done, I could have done more. Like Dolly Parton, she wakes up at like four in the morning and writes like a song before breakfast. You know, <laughs> but she doesn't have five kids. You know, you'd probably be quite industrious before breakfast if you didn't have five people to feed. It's true. Imagine what I would have achieved. <laughs> she is, but you know what? I love that you've cited Dolly as a bit of a, a bit of a hero or heroine, um, mm. because you're right. She's she's somebody else that is wildly underestimated in terms of everything that she does, and also doesn't like to promote it to people. So it's always left for somebody else to go. By the way, you know, Dolly, uh, you know, she helped to vaccinate America <laughs> during the pandemic. I mean, that's uh, that's just that's just her in lockdown. Yeah, she's amazing. She's a force of nature. I mean, it's, it's brilliant we get to be on the planet at the same time as people like that, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it? And yeah. also just like, just somebody that sort of rewrites the script. As are you. I mean, in lockdown, not only did you manage to create a mini movement that cheered up so many, but you did it in sequins and heels with children running around you and Richard on standby. I mean, how, whose idea was that? 
Uh, it was Richards, actually. Um, at the beginning of lockdown, we saw so many amazing, talented musicians sitting down at the piano and picking up their guitars and singing songs. Um, and I remember thinking, oh, bugger, I should have kept going with my piano lessons. I'm not good enough to accompany myself. But I shared <laughs> the desire to kind of do something. It was weird. I just wanted to reach out. And, and I think also, you know, like loads of families, we just felt a bit strange about everything. You know, it was the heaviness mm. of the news on the outside, but in the inside of our house, it was, you know, sort of a bank holiday feel, you know? So, you know, the sun was shining, wasn't it? We had a lovely, lovely spring, but just feeling quite discombobulated, empty diary, all of us here, you know, how do you, how do you make that work? And so the discos were really born out of, yeah, simultaneous desire to sort of do something to connect, but also a desire to just distract ourselves, I think, and do Mm. as a family, what we do when we feel a bit tense, which is put on some music and jump around a bit. I think that, um, you know, as for for so many of us as well, we 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 missed structure. And for you having a weekly disco session, it gave you something to work towards, um, to come together for. And it's sort of like a sanity saver in so many ways, isn't it? Definitely. I, mean, I spent every week planning the playlist and it was just a joyful little escape in my mind, you know, learning lyrics to new songs and thinking, right, what now? And it was really a very different part of my brain to my day job. You know, I was sort of wearing all the crazy outfits I didn't think I'd ever wear anywhere. <laughs> all my like vintage ice skating dresses I bought from, from eBay and, and singing Julie Andrews and just, yeah, I just sort of ran headlong into the instinct I had really of just what would be a good tonic. And I loved inviting people around and literally everybody that came over, I feel like they were all here. You know, when you said you watched them, I'm like, you were here, you were in our kitchen, you were around I with know. us. And, and I think a, a bit like you, I'd never really sort of ever shown my home before. Mm. And actually I just didn't care because I thought we were all in it together. I didn't mind people looking around my house. Yeah, um, same. It was yeah, it's a bit like just sort of strutting around in a bikini and not really caring that you've got a few lumps and bumps, isn't it? <laughs> Definitely. And I felt like it was sort of more than that, really. I felt like the previous sort of things that have been a priority about how you structure things and your privacy, it all just felt pretty irrelevant, actually. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I'd never done anything from the house like that. I'd never shown the kids running around anything, but it just felt like more important than that really to me mm. and to us actually as a family I think it became something that was really good good for all of us I mean I thought that goodness knows what my youngest he's two now so for him if I start moving the table in the playroom he's like oh disco you know it's just, it's just <laughs> ingrained, but that's what we do sometimes <laughs> <laughs> how was Sonny with it because obviously he's older and, and in those teenage years and probably achingly cool you know what, Sonny's been really sweet with it. And I think for him, it gave him a bit of a role. He's very good with his little brother anyway. Uh, and when we started doing the discos, Mickey was 14 months. So he was just crawling around on the floor. And I needed Sonny to act as a kind of baby bouncer, basically, just to make sure that <laughs> I knew where Mickey was because I tried to have my peripheral vision. But, you know, sometimes I got distracted. And uh, so Sonny was really helpful. And then when we got to the autumn, I said to him, oh, I, th- I think if we wanted to give it a miss, I think it's OK, because I think I can keep an eye on Mickey now. And actually, Sonny still kept coming. So I didn't bring it up again because I thought, you know, maybe he quite likes having a little role in it. Because I think you know what it's like when you're that age, 16, 17. You don't always know how to place yourself within a family of young siblings. So I thought, actually, if he's getting something from it, then that's fine. (laughs) Actually, at that age, you don't really know where to put yourself anywhere, do you? Except in your own hardcore group of friends. Exactly. It's such a, I wouldn't go back to that time willingly or gladly, would you? 
No way. No way. It's so tricky. Um, and there was one bit actually where I think, um, you know, some of my outfits were pretty out there, a lot of sort of sparkly leotards and things. And I, someone had said to me, oh, you know, you're embarrassing your son. And I'd said, no, no, Sonny's actually very encouraging. And then I told him about it. He was like, no, it's it's really embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> you are, you are covered yourself up a bit. But, but I was like, you know what? I'm doing bloody loads in the house. And, it's, you know, it's always something to be done. If I need a bit of like half an hour once a week where I put on a sequin something or other, sod it. Like, that's for me. I'm keeping that. <laughs> Too right. <laughs> Kind of takes me to my first question, because first of all, I was just amazed at the collection of fabulous clothes that you've got at home. And what you did in that in that moment with your kitchen disco sessions was you kind of rolled a very negative and difficult time and challenging time in glitter. And I wondered (laughs) when else in life you've had to roll it in glitter um, to turn, I, I guess, like a pig's ear into a silk purse, if if you remember that expression. Yeah. Oh, well, I guess, I guess it's like, especially if you're someone that's in a, a creative industry, then you're, you're actually actively encouraged to allow that bit of your brain to expand, mm. really. Um, and mostly I'm just grateful for it. I don't think I do it to be, be clever. I think I exploit it because it's a part of my job. I've been allowed to continue from when I was young and actually from being a teenager you know so I think that that music and performance um has always been an opportunity just to sort of lift myself out of something a little bit and and yeah have a little bit of fun and do something a bit silly as well I think it was also part catharsis you know you can I could literally on mic in between songs or during a song be moaning about the stress or the homeschooling or the haircuts or whatever was going, whatever was on my mind or, you know, time I cracked my phone screen or was sort of like <laughs> nesting rubbish. Sort of shaking yeah. a small child off your ankle while exactly. you're trying to go. And this next song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just being like, what is my life? You know, I think the bit which really crystallized it for me was when we did our Halloween one and um, I sang Wuthering Heights and I was oh. sort of wearing a sort of majorette kind of costume and my 12 year old kit. He'd been dressed earlier in the evening with like a black cape and a mirrored mask, so like a sort of spooky mirrored man. But he'd taken that off and put on a bear's head. And he kind of, <laughs> he looked like a vicar bear. And I found myself singing to him as my Heathcliff. And I was just like, what is this moment? Um, in Wuthering Heights, in my house, broadcast on my, my husband's phone, singing to my 12-year-old bear vicar son. Like, <laughs> surreal, surreal moments. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you know that attitude of lifting things up and making them a bit of zhuzhi I think Richard carries that too you know he's quite good at making a celebration out of anything really so you know if we're all together and all happy and healthy fundamentally then that's a that's a tiny little um, party popper in itself isn't it it really I mean, yeah party popper that's nice a party popper moment but when I look but when we when we look back on your life as I was reading there in the intro mm-hmm. you know when you left the audience I know that it was a time when you didn't really know what you were going to do next. So you just remained what you know, you, you just remained wide open to opportunity, I suppose, and jumped into a genre of music making that wasn't something you knew or had been associated with, with Groovejet, for example. Yeah. And is is that a good is that a good illustration of a difficult time that then ended up being deep dived in glitter? Because that then <laughs> launched you really as a solo artist. 
Yeah, and I think also that's a good example maybe of instinct because actually not only did I not know about dance music and not sing it before, I also didn't really like it. <laughs> did uh, you not? No, I was an indie kid. I uh, When I first got sent Groovejet, I was quite insulted. I was like, why am I being sent a house track? This is not what I do. And, you know, back in the 90s, if you were an indie kid, this was not the idea now that we have of people cross-pollinating and, you know, having a sunglasses mm. brand and releasing a new album. That's that's relatively modern. New, yeah. um, When When I was first singing, you picked your genre, you wanted to be credible, you wanted to be, you know, that fast you proved you earned your stripes it was kind of quite serious in a way it was a lot of stay in your lane wasn't there yeah it really was particularly I felt you know as a as a young woman in in that world I felt like it was all about trying to prove something and actually when Mm. when my band had got dropped um the music press weren't, weren't very kind it's just fine like that's partly what they were there for but it it was quite nasty and so Groove Jet was a bit of a kind of sod it I'm going to do something that's you'd never write about I'm going to do something that the melody maker and enemy it's a world they're not even, they don't even talk about Ibiza they don't talk about what's happening in the clubs and I really liked the feel of the track and I just thought this is just a good thing for my head it'll just lift me out of it and give it a bit of perspective I didn't know it was going to be a big song and I didn't know it was going to be something I'd still sing like a couple of decades on I just thought oh this is this is a good chance to just have a bit of an adventure I think I can be quite quite good at that like just going like flipping the script a little bit if things aren't working out and just thinking right okay let's go in that direction and now let's go in that direction you know there's no rules unless you make them for yourself so you're you're okay to break them if you aren't you (laughs) absolutely well you know whose rules do you live by you know that's that's surely entirely down to you and I know it's difficult to push against um what was a ve- probably a very difficult time for female front women. You know, when I look back around the women that came out of that time, it's really impressive how they've become the mothers of and masters of reinvention. So you've got Lauren Laverne. Everybody forgets that Lauren was in Kinnicky. She's now one of our pre... She now hosts Desert Island Discs. You know, she's know. a phenomenal broadcaster. And you've got Keris Matthews, again, six music DJ host, really great as, as a broadcaster. And then there's you. And you go, well... The high five, five sets of high fives right there for just plowing on regardless and doing what you wanted. It can't have been easy. No, I think there's an element of growing into yourself a little bit too. Mm. And I mean, it's funny you mentioned Lauren because she was very much a peer of mine. I used to hang out with her a little bit when I was sort of 16, 17 in clubs. Um, and I always thought she was really cool and whip smart. And I really liked her. She used to make me laugh. Um, and one of the other people um, at that time was Catelyn Moran as well. I, used to, she was, like, I met her when she was probably about 18, 19, and she interviewed me for something. And it's it's really lovely when I look left and right and there are these other people I remember mm-hmm. being there at the beginning and we're, you know, still crossing paths now in, in, our, in our whatever we're up to now. Um, but I think, you know... <sighs> You just have to kind of allow yourself the chance to grow up, really, and um, and learn from something and, and shrug off a lot of the things that are actually holding you back, like mm. worrying what people thought of you and yeah. if, if you were cool enough and all those things. But isn't that, that, that happens to everybody, doesn't it, a little bit? You have to grow into those things. Yeah, unless yours is happening on the pages of the NMA and then it's it's mm. a heightened and bigger experience in terms of the world is watching or some of the world is watching. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely not, you know, Camden, probably, from my, my experience. Like Camden. <laughs> but um, until until you did, uh, you know, the project with Groovejet, and then 
And then it, you were everywhere. You were on French radio, Italian radio. You were <laughs> an international hit and you followed it up with some absolute corkers. So you really made that moment count. Yeah, but I didn't, it could have easily been another way, but I do know that I was ready to take more responsibility. I think, you know, my first band being dropped before I'd turned 20 was mm. really tough because I'd left school, gone straight into this record deal. My friends had all gone off to uni. And so suddenly before that, you know, they'd even finished their degrees, I was already high and dry. So when Groovejet came along, I just thought, wow, you know, this don't, don't blame anyone else for what happens next. Just really jump in and work hard and see where this can take you. And I just actually really enjoyed it. And having that fear of failure taken away a little bit made me feel a little bit more fearless, I think. Mm. And, you know, having the chance to go solo, it wasn't something I'd planned. It just kind of happened. But actually, I ended up working with some amazing people who I still work with now. So I sort of formed the equivalent kind of like a band mentality around yeah. me. Of a lot of people I still work with and just had a lot of fun, actually. It's brilliant. I mean, I love making videos and all of that and being in the studio and writing songs. It's just, it's it's a treat. I'm still, I'm still as in love with it now as I was then, actually. I think it's great fun. But also when you talk about, you know, the fact that your, your band was, was dropped before you were even sort of in your early 20s. Mm. I remember being the editor of Smash Hits back in the 90s and that was my massive fear for everyone that graced our pages was that for so many of these young, predominantly men, I suppose, at Smash It's in terms of the, the acts that we covered, but by the time I left, the Spice Girls had, had erupted. Yeah. And so men and women, that the worry for their mental well-being when arguably the best years of your life can be behind you by the time you're 25. That's yeah. hard. It is. And even if it's not the best years of your life, that's the thing that people talk about with you, you know, because obviously there's mm. always an assumption that if, if you've been in the public eye and you're not anymore, then something has gone wrong and poor you. And yeah, yeah, so you're even, right. <laughs> yeah. Setting the record straight. Like, actually, I'm really happy now that I work as a, I don't know, holistic practitioner or whatever it is you've been retrained as. But, but just that to, to most people, the outside looking in, that's the good stuff. That's the bit where it's all going right. Yeah. And, and how do you hold on to it? And I think, yeah, there's, there's probably still, you know, a lack of, understanding I think about when people talk a lot about fame and success changing the people in the middle of it but actually it's it's very rarely the case I think more often it's the people around you I would agree your family, that your friends you know and um I think if they all suddenly shift how they behave I've, I've got friends that have been through that process you know they got picked up with something twirled up twiddle around and then dump the other side and then how do they then navigate their way through you know mm. you're part of a much smaller club. You're a small club that gets signed. You're a smaller club that's on the other side of it. Of you know, yeah. What that really and quite is. often, everybody's so frazzled and fried that they're not speaking to each other. So actually, that that the people that you started out with, that, yeah. that can become quite fractured. It's like getting swept up by a tornado. You know, like in the Wizard mm -hmm. of Oz, where the house goes up and yeah. then and it gets put back down somewhere else. But I guess that that was kind of fast fame in the nineties, and I and I did constantly worry that we would end up hearing one day that somebody had, you know, that they would be having a tough time. Yeah, but remember as well, I mean, I love Smash Hits so much. I used to read that every fortnight. But do you remember as well in the 90s, there was that bit in, 
was it the word or something where they say I'd do anything to be on TV and like people oh would... god and they do disgusting things like lick old ladies toes or yeah, something yeah, yeah 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 but I think there was such a it was actually the 90s was still youth culture was still dominated by music but yeah. then when it went into the noughties youth culture was around fame and celebrities so it was like a really interesting thing you know you didn't have the music press in the round in the same way or music on telly in the same way it was more about how famous you were and well also that's when you dove you dovetail the kind of rise and rise of reality television so you had pop stars mm-hmm. the rivals that, yeah. that came at the end of the 90s didn't it yeah and that was the beginning of you know a trend that you know the x factor's only really just gone off air you think everything since then yeah. it's, you know the big the loudest kind of headlines away from the hardcore music press has been reality music shows. So true. I was, I signed to Polydor um, and, I, you know, on the label with me was Hearsay. So I used to see them around a lot, you know, so I was kind of quite up close to a lot of that stuff and, you know, and Liberty X and all those bands, we were all doing the same radio road show. Mm. All those bands had the same sun sunglasses. They were like those ones that were quite clear. Yeah. <laughs> And they always looked quite um, serious when they were off off stage because the whole thing that they were being encouraged was, oh, I bet you guys are really tired. You're doing so much promo. I bet you're exhausted. I bet this has been really tough. So there was a kind of air of, you know, oh, this is actually really, really hard work. And then they go on and do the road shows. And yeah, it, it looked exhausting from the outside. I mean, goodness knows what it must have been like from the inside. I did chat to Mylene actually not that long ago for my podcast and it was really yeah. reminiscing about that time that era like we're both a bit like whoa that was a very strange little pocket of time <laughs> hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, my next question for you um, is making, it's, it sits around making huge decisions very quickly with, I hope, great end results. Because you and Richard first got together when you were 24. Mm-hmm. You discovered Sonny was on his way after, was it just six weeks? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was born in 2004. You married in 2005. I mean, that, when you look at it, is like bish, bash, a bosh, a life-changing <laughs> sequence of events that... Yeah. Um, that happened so quickly. But Richard, I loved this. I thought this was one of the most beautiful things I'd, I'd read. Richard had said of meeting you at that time uh, around the sort of speed of all, he said something, something kind of smacked us in the face. The chemistry was incredible. It was like nothing I'd ever experienced. <laughs> um, so I wondered, 
you know, if you would share a little bit of that time with me, but also reflect on maybe some of the other big life decisions that have been made very quickly that have worked out really well for you. Oh, well, I think, I think I make these big decisions quite quickly, like quite a lot of the time, really. Um, I think Richard is probably naturally a bit more of a pragmatist and takes his time and would rather sort of like weigh everything up. Whereas I'm a lot more like, if the, if it's the first thought, but it's the good thought and it seems sound, I'll go with that. Um, and I think when we got together, yeah, it's funny really when I look back. Have you ever seen that film Knocked Up? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a bit like Catastrophe, isn't it, with Sharon Hawken and Rob Delaney? Yeah. Yeah. So there were a lot of, there was a lot of quite a sort of comedic getting to know you as this bump was growing, you know, meeting his parents when I was four months pregnant. Um, no, you didn't for the first time. <laughs> it's so embarrassing. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, How did that um, go? Um, it was fine, although his mum was doing quite a sort of hard sell on Rich, and I was like, "You don't need to like the deed is done. Like I'm already like, <laughs> having a look. Means <laughs> with this guy, like it's happening. Um, and we still chill, Grandma. It's a done <laughs> deal. <laughs> it's, it's done. It's happening. Um, and we we still tried to date um, because um, my mum, when I told her I was pregnant, she'd said to me. It might not be the right time. It might not be the right man, but it's the right baby. And both of us found that really reassuring. So we thought, okay, well, there's their babies sort of here and we're committed to that and we're going to parent this baby, whoever they are. But we also felt like we needed to have our own relationship. So we tried to sort of continue dating and getting to know one another, even though we had this big event on its way. And so Richard only <laughs> moved in a few weeks before Sonny was born. It was all... no. I think looking back, it was almost like quite sweetly naive, really. But yeah, we <laughs> went on dates. We went away for a week to New York when I was about 12 weeks pregnant. And then we went away again in the springtime. So we had, you know, different, um, it was like, uh, you know, that film Green Card where they're trying to fake like a long relationship. It was like, <laughs> yeah. that's the old, old snowy backdrop. That's the springtime one, you know, um, sort of trying to sort of speed through something. But but actually, I think the fact that there had been this big thing happening and a quite high drama it kind of, in a way, sort of sealed us as a couple, I think, and as a family too. You know, there was always there was always a third person there. There was always Sunny, really. <laughs> and, and was there a part of you that ever panicked, you know, because that's, that's um, a lot at that age. You're still really young. Yeah, I think I, think I found getting my head around the idea of having a baby. I always wanted to be a mum, but I still had a bit of a wobble because even with big decisions, even when you know that really it's what's going to happen, I still like to feel like I've got a bit of ownership of that decision, mm. you know, and just feel quite resolved about it. Um, and so I did sort of take a minute to kind of make sure that was feeling okay. And it was quite, it was quite intense because um, I was releasing my second album and I hadn't told the label so basically the first single came out in September, which was the same month I'd found out I was having a baby. So I was on Top of the Pops singing a song called Mixed Up World, thinking I'm about to have to drop quite a bombshell. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I was being managed by someone I was um, had been in a relationship with. Uh, so it was all, I would say it was quite intense. Oh, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it was quite a lot. But you know, after that, you feel like if we can get through that sort of stuff, you can get through a lot, can't you? Yeah. <laughs> how did um, how did you find the response from your record label when you announced you were pregnant? 
they don't really remember that too well. So that probably says that they just kind of went, okay, I think, I think I released two singles, told them, and then I didn't release any more singles, which was actually quite good because, so I think the second single must have come out in something like October, November, but I gave birth in April. Um, so I was still doing the odd bit of promo, but I didn't feel it. I wasn't feeling very well as well. I got a bit unwell with Sunny, so I had something called preeclampsia. Yes. So I was very puffy and I didn't know I was ill, but then I had to have him early. So he came two months early. Um, two months is a lot as well, Sophie. And preeclampsia is not a little bit poorly. That's a lot poorly. Mm, yeah, I didn't realize I was ill until the same week that I had him. So basically I went along for a, a checkup. They put me on some medicine and said, come back in a couple of days. And when I went back, they said oh, you're not going home. In fact, you're going to have your baby this, you know, in a matter of days. And I was a bit in shock and I didn't really, under, I, I understood a bit, but I was also thinking, what are they talking about? I haven't done the antenatal. I haven't done, I haven't bought him anything for the baby. I haven't got nappies. I haven't got socks. <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, but, um, you know. Oh, did, you, did, did you manage to rally and get it all sorted? Uh, actually not really, but then Sonny was in hospital for a while. And by the time he came home, we just got the keys to the first place we had together. And we had some friends that brilliantly came and painted all the rooms. So we literally had the, I think we'd been in there for three days and then he came home. We just had a mattress on the floor, a radio next to the mattress, a Moses basket and boxes everywhere. But I think it really showed me that, you know, you don't need that much really, actually, that you're... You're told you need a lot of stuff, but really, you know, a roof over your head and somewhere to lie down in the night, you're probably going to get through it, actually. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I think, you know, and also there's always people around you that are very calm and and comforting, you know, so whether it be the doctors at the hospital were incredible, I had a lovely consultant, um, friends and family, you know, you just look to people who are seeming, you know, fine about everything and you just... Pay attention to that and keep that in your peripheral vision at all times and then take it day by day. And was Sonny your only early baby? No, the second one was early as well. That's Kit. He's 12 now, the one who was the vicar bear. <laughs> vicar bear. <laughs> and, and how early was vicar bear? <laughs> so he was nine weeks, so a little bit earlier than Sonny. Uh, but he was very tiny. He was two and a half pounds when he was born. And that was a bit of a shock because I'd actually been feeling really good with that pregnancy. And I thought... I thought I was doing really well with it, but I think, um, yeah, unbeknownst to me, the same thing was happening. So um, I was supposed to go to Russia for a gig uh, and I would have been 31 weeks pregnant. And my consultant said, you can go and do the gig, but you have to promise me you'll come and see me the day before you fly just so I can check you out. So I went to see her and she was like, I'm sorry, no. but you're not going anywhere. And I said, oh, can I, can I go and, you know, go and see my mum? She was like, no, you can literally go home, pack your bag keep taking your blood pressure and when it gets over a certain level you're coming in so I think I had another like day and a half at home and then I, and I went and had him had him that week <laughs> um are either of your children small for their age because my son's premature as well by six weeks and was realize. very low birth weight and um and that must have been a worry for your two boys as well because they were much earlier well with kids especially he was very unwell so that was the scary one really we felt like we'd been very lucky with Sunny and I'd my sister had been premature and so I'd seen a very happy ending with that. And it was like, it's fine. It's fine. With Kit, I thought, oh, maybe we're not going to be that lucky. And he, yeah, he'd had both lungs collapse and he'd had to be in a ventilator for a week and all this stuff. And I just thought, when, even when he got discharged, he was only £3.10 when I brought him home. And wow. I was terrified. I was like, I've been given this tiny baby, not even £4, and he's here with me. And 
I just didn't know if I, I felt quite freaked out. But mm. now, no, they're both huge. So, no, there's no, you would not get that lineup. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, yeah, we were kept in for quite a while. And then we ended up back in there. But Ben had what turned out to be, but we didn't know at the time, severe reflux. Um, and so he was very poorly. And I struggled, I really struggled for him to gain any kind of weight. Mm. And then the moment he hit what would have been 40 weeks, he suddenly found this inner strength and it was like, okay, now you're meant to be here. It's really weird. Like mother nature is spooky, wow. isn't she? With her clock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. I really, I really noticed that. I was like, and then suddenly my milk came in as well. And I was like, where have you guys been for the last six weeks? I've been pumping like an, you know, an old dairy yeah. cow. Oh yeah. yeah. So I'm very familiar with the, the pump. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but, but the thing is you're, you've had so many children that you'll have seen all of the equipment and paraphernalia just upgrade and become more and more fabulous. Uh, yeah. You know. Golly, hasn't it just? I mean, when I left hospital with Sonny, so he's, yeah, 17 now, I left with like a hospital grade, like massive pump. And then yeah. now <laughs> dinky ones that fit up, fit in your bra and they light up like disco balls. They're amazing. They do. I mean, <laughs> Mylene Class wears hers on air. She pumps while she's <laughs> she's doing a show for Smooth FM. I love it. For, I love her for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, because I remember when Ben was born, the, the video monitors were pretty pretty much still a new thing. So like my mum and dad would come up and, and I'd say, right, he's asleep. But we can watch him on this video <laughs> monitor, like it was like like I was on Tomorrow's World, you know. And we'd all just stand there staring at him asleep. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but that's my all that stuff. Oh. And I know. I, don't I tell know. me you're broody, jeez. I don't think so. I think it's been so so busy the last year. I mean, you know, there's like always a part of me that's like I'm not a kind of one of those women that's like I'm done, I'm done, I can't do that, but. But I think, you know, the likelihood of there being a sixth person is quite unlikely, I'd say. I mean, two more and you are the Waltons. Yeah, no, exactly. And seven brothers for seven brides or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, already, it's not like the Waltons. It's not as wholesome as the Waltons. I, I don't even think that the Waltons were as wholesome as the Waltons. Wouldn't it be great to find out that there were all hell raisers behind the scenes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, my final question for you mm-hmm. is sits around, um, it sounds like I've been stalking you and I haven't, I promise, <laughs> uh, an Instagram post that you put up in 2016, which was a picture okay. of you and Richard out on a night out seven months after you'd had Jesse, who's your fourth child, right? Yep, yep. So you put up, um, oh, and this was- I thought I was pregnant. Yes. Right, so yes. you'd put up, when Richard and I went out the other night, I wore a quite, quite a tight frock. I considered wearing stupid underwear to make me look trimmer, but decided not to as A, I wanted to be comfy and B, I didn't mind the shape I'm in. Later that evening, a lady thought I was pregnant. Obviously not thrilling, but just to say, I don't mind that seven months after a baby that happened. This is what it looks like when you've had a baby sometimes. Not to pass any judgment on those mums who go back to their former shape quicker. I've had four kids. I don't have a flat tummy. That is okay. Now, I read that and just was like, air pump you know air punching you and well not punching you you know (laughs) high-fiving wouldn't punch you um so bravo first of all secondly you look bloody amazing in that picture and third of all thank you because that's a really necessary but difficult public conversation and 
I wondered why you felt compelled to, to share it, but also when else you've had to speak up on something that's a bit awkward, a bit difficult, but also a bit necessary? Um, well, I suppose, um, I think, I think it happens a lot to women and I think yeah. look, sort of different levels of it. Funnily enough, I've actually, I've just been finishing a book at the moment and one of the chapters is called, Are You Pregnant? Because I sort of wrote about times when people have thought that I'm pregnant and I'm not. And there's sort of two strands to it really. I think the one where it's like just someone making a bit of a mistake socially, I think that's totally understandable. And I think we've got to be really forgiving with ourselves about all that. And, you know, I suppose, I mean, I've never had a flat stomach. And obviously it's never great if someone thinks you're expecting a child when you're not. But I think also I've just kind of thought, you know what? I'm a woman. That's a shape that we tend to gravitate towards anyway. And it's it's fine. Like just be okay with that. But then there's also the other side of it, which is when people, if you're in the public eye or or it's sort of more scrutiny, you know, they, they're like, oh, I think they're having a baby. And then they want to know the answer mm. just because they have a hunch about it. And I think that's really not okay because I think there's some things that are very private and it came out of um, last year when I did a video for crying at the discotheque, um, someone, I won't name him, but uh, a guy that I work with saw the, the, some of the footage and he phoned me up and he said, I just wondered if you have big news. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he went, have you got big news? And I was like, are you asking me if I'm pregnant? He said, yes. I was like, no. And he said, that's what I thought. But then afterwards, I was so angry. I was like, if I wear a bloody sequin cat suit and for whatever reason, I don't tell you I'm pregnant either because I'm not, I am and I'm not ready to say, or I have been recently and I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Then don't bloody ask me. And I just said, you'll never know what it's like to have to confirm or deny if you're expecting a child just because someone's had a look at you and has a hunch you might be and wants to know if they're right. Like, yeah, pure pure nosiness. But also, you know, they they don't really understand that, you know, maybe you had been carrying a child at that time. Maybe that child hadn't carried full term. Maybe yeah. that's something that you're dealing with. You know, yeah. you must always be mindful of what people might be going yeah. through. Completely. That's why I say, yeah, like if I just hadn't been pregnant and then I wasn't anymore, like yeah. for whatever reason, it's private, but... yeah. But the thing that was really embarrassing, so I'd written this email back to him. Did you? So I'd got really like, I've written this flipping awesome email. I was like, nailed it. But I told Richard and I told my mum about it. I put them on blind copy uh, because I thought they'd get a kick out of how brilliantly articulate I'd been. <laughs> <laughs> but then he replied saying, oh, I'm so sorry. And when he replied, he'd copied my mum and Richard in. Oh. And I realised that I didn't put them on blind copy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> With my mum and my husband. We've made me feel like really empowered to like complete dingbat. <laughs> and I bet as well, because it's your mum, if he's anything like our age, he would have been like, shit, it's Janet Ellis from Blue Peter. <laughs> You know what? Too right. He deserved to be humiliated. I'm he sorry. did. When you talk about the importance of those conversations and sending that email, for example, did you feel, I mean, I love the fact that you felt empowered. Did you get a bit of a sweaty upper lip writing it? Were you a bit like, should I, shouldn't I? Do you, or are you fearless yeah. in those moments? No, I was really, I knew it was wrong and I felt like we can't have this happen again, actually. And there's so many ways to handle it that weren't that. And I literally closed it with like, even my own mother wouldn't ask me if I'm having a baby by saying, have you got big news? Like, 
it's not cool, man. It's not cool. I was not. Nah, I was very angry. <laughs> I get, yeah, I get. And also, you know, when you're sat with friends, you know, and you know that maybe, for example, they're struggling to conceive or that they've they've suffered, um, you know, miscarriage. And then somebody says, well, what about you two then? When you two are having a baby and you just, you're dying inside and you're like, no, this is so inappropriate and so insensitive. I know. At the moment, talking about kids and family life in that way is still something we discuss in a very lighthearted way, like the weather. Mm. And obviously there's lots about that that I totally get and it's totally understandable. And, you know, it's it's a normal icebreaker. It can be a thing that can, you know, be a very easy conversation place. But yes, I think I think when it comes to some questions that get asked, you just think, especially now we're much more aware and much more open about the fact that actually for a lot of people, having a family in the way you want doesn't necessarily come as easy as you hope. No. So um, so yeah, I think I think it's a shame that that's still something that that can be sort of casually chucked about and can actually be really hurtful for people. Yeah, with no great intention behind it often, but still very painful nonetheless. Exactly. Are there other times where you've had to pluck up the courage to kind of speak up nicely or, or otherwise? <laughs> You know what, I feel like overall, I'm not someone that enjoys confrontation, but I think there are ways to articulate things that have, have not gone well in a way that's constructive and, and helpful. So I'm not, I'm not frightened by having those conversations. However, I find more often than not, I sleep on something and then think, Has it, is it really worth it? Mm. Because you've got to really be sure that there's, there's a positive to be had rather than just a sort of telling someone off. Yeah. I think sleeping on it is always the right thing, always. In my 40s, I thought, what is 40s to me? And I had a very clear idea of 30s. And I was like, what's 40s? And I thought, I think 40s is being a bit more unapologetic and just saying things when I feel they need to be said. And that's kind of what I, how I want to wanna live it, really. So that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Um, so now that we are slowly, slowly unlocking, festivals are happening. Are you back on the beat? Yeah, it's going to be so nice. And I'm, I'm much more aware now of the industry around what I do. I didn't used to think about it because when there's gigs happening all the time and everybody's working, you know, it's just, you're just one tiny bit of a big thing. But now yeah. I'm much more aware of like, oh, great, I've got a gig. That means I have a tour manager and someone doing monitors and all the band and all the people that have a day's work in the field that they're trained to do is like, yes. Yeah. And also it's not you and Richard trying to make it work in the kitchen. Oh, I know. Come on, Sonny, get me the Wi-Fi password again for the exactly. 95th time. Yeah, or like want to skip an argument with the kids over there. <laughs> or, or take off like some weapon and hiding it on the top shelf while I'm singing. Yeah. <laughs> I can actually just roam around like, woohoo! <laughs> yeah, it's going to feel good. I'm going I'm to really enjoy myself, definitely. And, and will you continue with the podcast? Because that was something you started in lockdown, wasn't it? Yeah, not intentionally. Um, the first conversations, it was sort of pre-everything happening and it just so happened that literally as I was going around to some of the early ones, like the Burns house and Mylene's house, it was literally that point where everybody was a bit like, oh, hey, you know, is it cool we're here and washing hands and but yeah. still no restrictions or anything. Um but I've really loved it. It's been some of the best conversations I've had in the last year, to be honest. And I can, you know, legitimately give time to having these really good chats with really amazing people. And I've loved everyone. So, yeah, I'm sure you know yourself. The hardest thing about podcasts for me is actually just booking people and getting yeah. to like all the timings out. But, but what actually, I have discovered is most people like most people say yes, you know, they do. And, it's, and then you have a lovely conversation and. And it can be, you know, especially in lockdown, I just found it kept me going. I found it so enriching in so many ways. 
and I loved your podcast. I really did. Um, I particularly loved your chat with your mum. It felt like a real privilege to listen in on you two swapping information about each other in a way that you probably hadn't before, maybe in snatched moments, but never in that sort of sat down considered way. No, and I was I was definitely the most nervous for that one as well because, you know, I wanted to make it a conversation that was that had a bit of structure, but also um it's incredibly personal. So um mm. you know, I, I, I did really enjoy it and I think you're right you don't always have those conversations with people and and weirdly it sort of shifted my perspective on my childhood a little bit because we had this time when uh, my mum was my mum and I were living together before she'd met my stepdad and after she divorced my dad but I didn't really think of it as my mum being a single mum and how that was for her Hmm. because you know when you're a kid you're just going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing so it kind of shifted the way I'd kind of seen that period of time really and how how significant it was for our relationship and also you know at that time she was working pretty much full-time wasn't she which wasn't all you know so you were born what 80s um 79 so 79 so yeah I mean not not a lot of women worked full-time or they they might have had part-time jobs that fitted around the kids that's certainly what that's very sweeping in general but that was my experience growing up yeah I know you're well I think that you know the case in point is that when my mum got pregnant with my brother she then wasn't on repeater anymore you know it was still quite controversial yeah. to have a child out of wedlock to be pregnancy was still private do you remember when like nana cherry performed on top of the pops and she was yes everybody was outraged apart from most women who just went she looks amazing i love her trainers yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. That, was, that was it do you remember the big high tops yeah exactly or when she did a uh, man child and she had her baby oh. on her shoulder with her yeah. hair um, but, you know, Demi Moore being on the cover of Vanity Fair pregnant, that was, I think that was only in the 90s. It's, it's still... That was early 90s, yeah. And that was Annie yeah. Leibovitch, wasn't it? Exactly. And that was yeah. a really... I mean, now we're much more used to all that. But really, I think I think there's still been a big shift in uh, women being able to have that conversation about how it's how it works for them best. And, you know, it's still, it's still not a level playing field with the working world. And Yeah, it's tricky. It's yeah. Tr- it, it, yeah, but not as tricky as it was. And I think your mum... I was um, I was out doing some gardening, listening to the episode, and I, it sort of made me stop what I was doing and just sit down, cross-legged, and listen to you both. And I really appreciate how far women that work and are mums have come, in in large part thanks to, to women like your mum. And I'm sorry that she wasn't kept on at Blue Peter, and she was far too polite about that. Um, I think it's bloody outrageous. <laughs> She's never, you know, I don't know any more than she said, to be honest. It's just me, like, looking at, at the, the kind of the way things were then. But, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, she said she'd finished that contract and then just they just didn't, didn't give knew. her another contract. But, you know, I think, um, you know, my mum's, uh, it's something I've probably inherited, really, that whatever shape the card, you know, however the cards fall, you kind of have to make it part of what's actually quite positive for you because otherwise you just spend your time feeling angry or resentful or whatever yeah. so you know, if it worked out it worked out you know <laughs> no she sounds like really great counsel that you've got there a very wise um ear in which to sort of you know pour your your thoughts and troubles and i do and i do good good <laughs> it's been so lovely talking to you and um, yeah, best do. of luck getting back out onto an actual stage that wasn't you know that doesn't fall under your postcode <laughs> I know exactly. I'm actually leaving leaving London, and try, I know. And fingers crossed for the summer. I've got so many in the diary, so hopefully. 
Oh, I really hope. I really hope. I mean, just the the excitement of of seeing an artist perform live again. I just can't. I can't wait for the reality of that. And yeah. if people want to catch your podcast, it's up and available where you get all your podcasts. It's called Spinning Plates with Sophie Ellis Bexter. Um, mm-hmm. Really lovely conversations with hardworking women. Um, <laughs> who happen to be mothers uh, I mean I really enjoyed it so continued success with that and thank you Sophie no oh, thank you so much well that's it for this week how lovely is Sophie Ellis Bexter how does she do it with five kids high fives all round don't forget you can download her album which comes off the back of those kitchen disco sessions songs from the kitchen disco right now and also her podcast which is available wherever you get your podcast called Spinning Plates As always, our show is produced by me, Kate Thornton, alongside Libby Niles and Richard Hatherall at Yahoo UK. Music's provided by Andy Bell. And as we always encourage you to do, if you are partaking in a drink or two whilst enjoying this show, please do as we do and try to drink responsibly. And thank you, may I say, before I sign off to all of those who have signed up and rated and reviewed us. I did that awful thing that you should never do. You like, you should never Google yourself, they say. I also think that applies to never read your reviews on Apple, but I did. And it was lovely. It made me cry. Happy tears. So thank you so much for all your kind words. Keep them coming. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it and how much it helps other people to find and discover us. I'll see you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.